Let us pray. Holy Spirit, for the word of God in scripture, the word of God among us, the word of God within us, thank you. And now help us set aside everything we think we already know about you and your word and your good plans for the world, for an open heart and a new understanding of all of these things, that our hearts and lives may be changed. Amen. Our scripture today is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. Let us listen to what the Spirit of God is saying. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples. The legal experts and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, you must take care to do everything they say, but don't do what they do. For they tie together heavy packs that are impossible to carry. They put them on the shoulders of others, but are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do, they do to be noticed by others. They make extra-wide prayer bands for their arms and long tassels for their clothes. They love to sit in places of honor at banquets and in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with honor in the markets and to be addressed as rabbi. But you shouldn't be called rabbi because you have one teacher and all of you are siblings. Don't call anybody on earth your father because you have one father, one in heaven. Don't be called teacher because Christ is your one teacher. But the one who is greatest among you will be your servant. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, but all who make themselves low will be lifted up. This is the word of God for us. Last Sunday here at Knox on the Lawn, we had the joy of presenting to Knox's Sunday School third graders their very own Bibles. This was part of a festive outdoor Sunday school event for families led by Tina Hubert and her fellow faith formation leaders and Sunday school teachers. After the presentation, the third graders then went off to their third grade Bible class on the courtyard. This is a special class that happens every year at this time led by teachers, Miss Page and Miss Nancy. And every year they invite me to come to their class carrying my big and heavy bag of Bibles. I spend a bit of time sharing with the kids um, how I came to have each of these Bibles from the one I received when I was their age to the ones I accumulated during seminary and the ones I use now, including pocket size and big fat study Bibles. You get the picture. Some are in Greek, some in Hebrew, some in Spanish. And after my show and tell, we then consider a very important topic about our Bibles. Whether we have one or a hundred Bibles, it will not make one bit of difference in our life if we never what? Open it and read it. And then when we do open and read our Bibles, then comes the interpretation how to apply what we read to our lives of faith right here and right now as God's people. As we each come to the Bible as unique individuals with unique life experiences, we will often interpret the message of the scriptures differently from one another. 
We need only look around the world at the thousands of different denominations and non-denominations of Christian churches and more that keep forming and the various types of Jewish ways of worship such as Orthodox, Reformed, and Humanist to realize that we don't all agree on how to live out what the scriptures teach. The same was true in Jesus' day, as today's passage illustrates. Jesus and the religious legal experts and rulers of religious law, the Pharisees, have been challenging one another throughout Matthew's gospel. They are all Jews, they all worship the one true God, all sharing the same scripture, but are interpreting it and living it out quite differently at times. New Testament scholar Greg Carey points out that Matthew's gospel emphasizes Jesus as the unauthorized Jewish teacher who lacks the high education that the authorized teachers, the Pharisees and legal experts had. However, Jesus speaks about the scriptures with such authority, so compelling, he is amazing the crowds and drawing large numbers and his miraculous healings amaze them even more. And he has by now quite a following. The religious leaders tried to draw the crowds away from Jesus, this unauthorized teacher. And Jesus seeks to draw the crowd away from them out of his concern that the leaders are leading the people down the wrong path. Jesus doesn't criticize the actual law they are teaching, for it is God's law given them through Moses so long ago. It's legitimate. Most of the population could not read well, nor would they have owned their own copies of the scriptures. So they depended upon these teachers with expert knowledge to tell them what God's law actually says, so they could actually follow it. The problem comes when the religious leaders add their own interp interpretation on how exactly to be faithful to the law, with the result that more and more regulations were added. They tie heavy packs together, Jesus says, impossible to carry, and lay them on the shoulders of others. While the religious teachers heap more rules upon the law, we learned last week in chapter 22 that when those teachers asked Jesus which of all of God's laws was the greatest, his interpretation of the scriptures reduces them to just two, love and love. Love God, love others. Let's remember what Jesus said about his understanding of God's law back in chapter 11, that it is a yoke that is easy to bear. So when Jesus witnesses the impossibly heavy burden laid upon his fellow Jews, he responds with both compassion for the crowds and righteous anger toward the leaders. Jesus has to bring into light the truth that though devout in their study and teaching of God's commands, these teachers are not practicing what they preach. While the majority suffer, they are seeking honor and status. Life was very difficult for those in Palestine during Jesus' day. 
They lived under Roman occupation. They had suffered and lost a lot. It's human nature to hang on to what power, security, an illusion of control one still thinks they have under such circumstances. The legal experts and Pharisees are no exception to this. Life was scary. Fear can turn any human inward to focus on one's own welfare, becoming blind or numb to the effects that may have on those around us. Jesus sees the effects. When the backs of some are breaking under heavy burdens due to the choices, conscious or not, of those with privilege and power, something is wrong with the system. Something's amiss in the hearts that created the system. This scenario is not foreign to us today. The ever-growing disparity between the wealthy and the poor is well known and documented. The burdens of the marginalized are increasing and more rapidly than ever during this pandemic, which we know is affecting and killing the poor and people of color at a higher rate than other people groups. In our culture of structural racism, policies continue to be passed or thwarted that serve to keep people of color from their equitable share of resources. The backs of some are breaking under heavier and heavier burdens while others go unaffected. Something is wrong with our system. Something's amiss in the hearts that create it and uphold it. Fear-mongering has become a usual part of political discourse. And though some of us can see it for what it is, there will always be others who buy into it and live in a state of ever-growing fear. Fear of losing what they have or of not getting what they believe they deserve. And the fruits of this fear are infecting our election season, as the daily news reveals. Many of us worry about the threat of intentional disruption at polling places and about violence during or after the election. And people on both sides of the political divide struggle to hope that civility will return or that we can become a nation united anytime soon, regardless of who wins the election. Faith leaders around the nation committed to God's law of love are responding to this reality by organizing nonpartisan groups of concerned citizens to serve as a peaceful, moral presence at polling sites to help protect everyone's right to vote. One such initiative, co-sponsored by Christian journal Sojourners, is training clergy to serve as poll chaplains. This is happening in the states that are at high risk for voter suppression, and Ohio is one of those nine identified states. I attended a training for this last week, and the lead organizer, Dr. Barbara Williams Skinner, kicked off the training by reminding us of the foundational reason we were there. She said that what is happening in American politics in the rise of race-related hate and violence, in the upheaval at our polling places, 
is an Imago Dei issue, an image of God issue. As a woman of faith, Dr. Skinner was lifting up the story of our creation, according to Genesis, that God created humankind in God's very own image and calls us good. The Imago Dei of some is not being honored and is in fact being desecrated. Some of our laws suggest that some in our culture are less worthy than others, less worthy of the freedom to vote, less worthy of basic human rights, less worthy of what is needed to simply stay alive. That this reality exists is a sign that our society has forgotten who it is that gives us our very life and breath. The scriptures remind us it is God our creator and St. Paul reminds us, God our creator shows no partiality. Last Sunday, I joined the local chapter of the nonpartisan Souls to Poles, a group led by African-American clergy that helps transport those voters without means to their polling places. Like poll chaplains, they aim to serve as peaceful and a moral presence. There is another Souls to Polls this afternoon, Sunday, November 1st, and all are welcome. If you'd like to participate, you may contact me, Jana Reister, or Tina Hubert, and you can find us at knox.org. Send us an email and we'll try to help you. At last week's Souls to the Polls gathering, I was very sobered as one African-American candidate shared that while she was campaigning at the Board of Elections last week, she and her supporters were confronted by a group of people espousing racist ideas who assaulted them, this candidate and her supporters, with hateful and racist name-calling. Yes, this is an image of God issue. As God's children, when we forget whose we are, then we forget our true nature. And then we forget that we bear the image of God who names, whose names are love and grace and mercy. And when we forget our own Imago Dei, we easily become blind to it in our fellow humans. And we become prone to the very same thing as the religious experts and rulers in our scripture today. Forgetting that we have a God who cares and provides for us, we start tampering with God's perfect twofold law of love. And we may start adding rules to God's decrees or making up new ones in attempts to feel safe and protected. Jesus was confronting an Imago Dei issue in our story today. He seems to come out swinging Yet he maintains God's law of love as he speaks truth to power and hope to the powerless. In his obedience to God, Jesus desires all to come into God's way of life. As he critiques the leaders, he hopes to wake them up to the image of God within, that they may change their hearts and lives and be free. As he encourages the crowd, 
to do as their religious leaders teach, but not do as they actually do. He reminds them what the image of God life is. That it's not seeking to lift oneself up to the heights of worldly status and acclaim. For we are already lifted up by the only one that counts, our God. Imago Day life is not seeking fancy titles or names. For God has already named us with the truth, calling us my beloved. Imago Day life is one of joyful sojourning with our earthly siblings, whether family, friends, stranger, perceived enemy, those we assume will never relate to or that couldn't possibly understand us. Our job is to help one another remember their own Imago Day, to help one another see the divine image in ourselves and each other when the worldly clouds move in to hide it. And isn't this the role of saints? To remind us of our Imago Day, of our own sainthood? James Finley, Christian contemplative, based on his definition of a saint, offers some helpful questions on this All Saints Day to help us reflect on the saints in our lives, past and present, and how we may serve as saints for others. Let us reflect together. Where would we be without that person who saw in us a value we couldn't yet see? Where would we be without that person to whom we revealed a most painful thing, the thing we're most ashamed of, and instead of judging us, sat with us and accepted us in a way that helped us to accept ourselves, echoing how God eternally accepts us in all our brokenness. And as we recall all the ways our saints have helped us reclaim our Imago Dei, Finley says, we then realize we're called to pass that on. We're called to be that for each other, which is the holiness of daily life. In the name of God, whose image we share, Amen.